Well, this morning, I'm going to do something with a Bible passage that's uh, not, not unusual. We do it all the time. But, you know, when you come to a Bible passage and you're preaching from a Bible passage, the primary emphasis of that text is the thing that you want to make sure and identify when you're preaching from it. But there are often secondary emphasis in a Bible passage that you may or may not develop a whole message out of them. You may or may not even mention them when you're trying to teach through the text. But one thing that I want to go into and look at today is that there are secondary aspects, and this would be true of the Bible, be true in our lives. There are secondary things that can debilitate or just make or break the effectiveness of the primary things that are available. All right, let me give you a couple of examples. When I was growing up, the ideal setting to spend a weekend was found in a camp that my dad had built with his own hands in Port Sulphur, Louisiana. It was actually 10 miles out in the swamp. You couldn't get there by car. And if you're a kid growing up, man, you're loving the fact that you're living in the swamp. It was, it was, and it was really, it was a beautiful setting. Um, you know, sunrises and sunsets, we'd stay there overnight often. You could listen at night. You could hear fish jumping in the water, just tranquil, and the water would lap against the shoreline while you're falling asleep. And, I mean, it was, a, it was a wonderful, wonderful setting. Except when the wind blew out of the southeast, not too far away was a fish processing plant. You feel my pain already, don't you? <laughs> My dad called them pogey fish. I'm not sure really what they were, but there was a pogey plant. And when the wind would blow out of the southeast, all you were aware of in that moment was the nauseating smell of fish oil. That's all, you know, the lapping of the water, the sun going down. All those things were there. And they were being overridden by aroma, right? Similar scene. Let's suppose for a moment, maybe you never had pogey plant experience, but I think you can relate to this. You have created the ultimate romantic evening for you and your spouse. You have thought through the details carefully. Your spouse walks in. The room is softly lit. Scented candles are burning. There is a glowing fire in the fireplace. There is a curious small gift wrapped with expensive wrapping paper sitting on the coffee table. And you sit down, your arm around her, you reach for the remote, and you click on the tunes. And what comes on is... The theme from Jaws comes on in that moment. Or maybe the Twilight Zone music, you know. Now, in that moment, no matter what all the other preparations you have made, the background music has just made the scene completely dysfunctional, right? It no longer works. Well, you know, when you come to the Bible, you come to Scripture, uh, you find the, the Christian life was meant to be set to music, if you will. It was meant to have a certain background music playing while it's going on. And, you know, music makes a scene. I mean, if you really see well-done musical scores for movies, 
it creates the scene by what music can accomplish. I mean, if I go over to the piano right now, play white keys and then move to the black keys, I'm going to accomplish something in your mood. Right? We, we had gone to the <clears throat> a little symphony uh, thing that Grace was in last week. And one of the symphony groups that was playing uh, played a variety of arrangements of the songs from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And they did it extremely well. And, you know, there's nothing playing on the screen. There's, there's, there's nothing going on except the music. That music took you through the movie. I mean, you just were in every scene when it started to play. And you wanted to run around and, and have swords going. And then there was soft stuff and you were contemplative and you were thinking about the relational dynamics. The music did all that. Now, Christianity needs the right music playing in the background. It needs the right aroma about it. You know, obviously one of the things that would be critical background music playing for Christianity is, is the music of faith. Right? When you walk into this building today, when you walk into your Christian life, faith is this thing that you and I are anticipating what God might do in our lives. That's the background music for every scene for a Christian. Now, if you change that background music to something else, the Jaws theme or whatever you put in there, then your walk immediately becomes dysfunctional because without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you're not anticipating the greatness of God and his insistence and his love showing up in your life on your behalf, well, then whatever scene you're in right now, it can't be going right. It's got the wrong music playing in it. You know, there's a little series floating around in me that sometime next year we'll get to. And, and it has to do with, with the atmosphere of Lakeview Christian Center. Something that, that I believe biblically we should hope, all of us should hope, but I'm definitely hoping that if you spend any time in this church getting to know the people, participating at some level, that you would come in contact quickly with, with three identifiable, identifiable smells, if you will. That you smell this in the air. That you smell humility. That you sp- smell an attitude of serving. And that you smell gratitude. Those three things. I, I want to do a series at some point on those things being the aroma of what we do. That doesn't describe what we're doing, but it's the smell that you encounter when you are here. And I can think quite honestly, almost like when you smell smoke, you know that there is. When you smell humility, when you smell an attitude of serving, when you smell gratitude, it's a giveaway that something else is present. If you don't smell those things, then it's a giveaway that something is missing understanding and insight into aspects of who God is in our own lives is missing. Well, well, today, since we're on the verge of Thanksgiving, I could not help but jump in to the thought of Thanksgiving, how the Bible presents that to us. So we're going to deal with some of the aroma of our lives. And, and here's, here's where I want to encourage us to get the most mileage out of what we're looking at today. This would be a strategic component of thinking intentionally about gratitude and thanksgiving. One, because we don't do that well as a people. Thanksgiving is not something that we are profound at. But this time of year affords us some unique opportunities. We have the Thanksgiving holiday upon us. 
Its name drives us. Its components help us. So I want to greatly encourage you this week to ramp up what, we're, what you're going to hear today into the realm of becoming extreme in your gratitude. Find ways to be extreme in your thanksgiving. But not only this week, but towards the end of the year, from here, all the holiday season, all the way to the end of the year, the year's coming to a close. We're reflecting. We're thinking back over the course of activities in the year. We're looking into the next year. It's a unique season. We're going to be with people that have been influential in our lives. There's a lot of opportunity here in the next several weeks to do some serious, serious work in the attitude of thankfulness in our hearts, being a thankful people. So turn to Colossians chapter 1 with me. Colossians chapter 1, and I want to show you a secondary element in this text, not what I believe is the primary element, but a secondary element, which is very important. The context here for the Apostle Paul speaking to the Colossians is Paul is explaining to the church his passion for them his passion for their lives, his passion for the ministry that he has and the influence he has in their lives, his passion to see them become all that God wants them to be. Kent Hughes talks about this passage. He says, Paul's goal is nothing short of presenting to Christ complete, mature, full-grown Christians. His great joy was to present to Christ believers who have reached their maximum earthly potential. Right? That, that's what Paul was after as he writes to the Colossians. <clears throat> you know, I want to I stand before you as one of the pastors and, and tell you that would be a pastoral passion for us, for you. If you want to know why we pursue the things that we do, teach the things we teach, live toward you, seek certain influence, promote certain things, it, it's, it's because we're after that. Promoting the, the maximum potential of God in what he wants to show you and reveal to you about himself and what he has for your life now and into eternity. Right? I think, you know, you can go there, I'm sure, parentally. Isn't that kind of what you want for your kids? You know, nobody is just passionate to see your children become nominal, right? I'm just, well, i got a passion for nominalness. Hey, 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 son, settle down over there. I think you're getting a little too good at that. You know, why don't, why don't you take the edges off that? Why don't you go sit down on the sofa? Here, here's the remote. Um, you know, that, that's not what we're after in people's lives that we love and care about. That's not what we're after in your life as pastors. So if sometimes we seem a little detail-oriented or a little too jazzed up and in, intentional about some things, it's because that's what we want for the Savior to receive from your life. Full-grown, mature, fruit-filled lives for his glory and for your benefit. And that's what Paul's explaining to the Colossians here. Look in chapter 1, verse 28. He explains his ministry to the Gentiles this hope that they have, Christ in you, the hope of glory, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, 
Here's why. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, all right, stop. All that is his ambition, his hope, and his desire. He says, just in case you understand why I'm interacting with you the way that I am, that's why. All right. Now, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Right now, as I said, I don't believe thanksgiving is the primary focus of this text. But the way in which Paul postures it, it's almost as though what he's after doesn't work without it either. If you extract the background music of an abounding thankfulness in the people of God, I don't think these other elements can flourish and we become debilitated in trying to pursue this. Now, Let's be honest, if, if we're going to pursue a lifestyle of thanksgiving, some of us are going to need to go through a recovery program to be rescued from being complaintaholics. Can we start the group? Who would like to join the complaintaholics? The first meeting opens up. I'll open it for us. Hi, I'm Keith. I've been a professional complaintaholic for 46 years. And you all go, hi, Keith. It's good. See, y'all have, y'all have done this before. <laughs> this is going to go well, right? See, 46 years I have been, I've been practicing complaining, right? Here's some interesting thoughts from the folks in the world. Samuel Johnson, an English author, says, man alone is born crying. Actually, I can verify that not just born, but at least the first two years of life can be spent <laughs> with nonstop crying taking place. Man alone is born crying, lives complaining, and dies disappointed. (laughs) About Antoine Rivoral, French journalist, said, man spends his life in reasoning on the past, in complaining of the present, in fearing the future. Uh, You gotta have Lily Tomlin in here. Man invented language to satisfy his deep need to complain. <laughs> we forget all the usefulness of language. I just got some complaining to do. I'm going to need some words. <laughs> Mason Cooley says, complainers change their complaints, but they never reduce the amount of time spent in complaining. <laughs> right? If you're, if you're a complainer, you know that day-to-day brings different opportunities to complain, And so you might change the object of complaining, but the flow of complaining continues, doesn't it? Here's something interesting about complaining. I don't know if I wrote this in your notes. It should be in there, though. Complaining comes effortlessly, spontaneously, and with content. Right? Now, few things in our life get those three things hung on it. Right? Most things in our life take effort. Complaining takes no effort. It comes effortlessly. Some of us, 
wish we were more spontaneous people. Don't we just miss we could just speak extemporaneously and at any moment we're just funny. We just know how to handle, we're just spontaneous, but we're not, except in complaining. In complaining, I can burst into complaining without any preparation. I don't think in advance. I don't wake up and go, hmm, I've got that complaining meeting today. What? I'm going to be driving into work today. What can I complain about on the way? We don't think about it. And it comes with content, right? Do you ever known anybody who's at a loss for words to complain? It's like, you know, you know I, I just want to complain. I can't think of anything. No, you know, I might be at a loss for words to say something supportive, to say something encouraging. But I'm never at a loss for words when it comes to complaining. It just comes out. And, you know, well, there, there's so much to complain about, right? I mean, I don't know where your list goes, but here. You wake every day. There's the government to complain about, right? There's the weather. Every day, there's something about the weather that we can complain about. It's, it's too hot. It's too humid. Then when it gets cold, it's too cold. It's too windy. It's too rainy. There's today's to-do list that you're never going to get to do. It's left over from yesterday's to-do list. There's your schedule. There's your hair. Don't always complain about your hair, right? There's your stuff. You, you either have too much stuff, and so therefore you need a garage sale to get rid of the stuff you're stumbling over, or you don't have enough stuff and you need to go to a garage sale, but somehow the stuff is on the list. There's traffic. There's always traffic. And isn't it amazing that, amazing that all the idiot drivers are always nearby? <laughs> you know, it's like you would think, do they just wait for me to pull out on the highway? Uh, there's the school system. There's homework assignments. And listen, I'm not just talking to young people. Homework assignments are irritating to parents, aren't they? It's like you've had a long day. You're just hoping to come home and your son or daughter breaks out the news that they have a science project due tomorrow. I mean, you're complaining. At this point, you want to know, who, what is your teacher's email address? Give it to me now. <laughs> uh, there's physical pains to complain about. There's your boss. Yeah. <laughs> Hope he's not here this morning when you said that. <laughs> There's your spouse. Careful. They probably are here this morning. Um, there's the toilet seat, right, <laughs> to complain about. There's toothpaste to complain about. If you have toddlers in your house, there's probably toothpaste on your toilet seat to complain about. <laughs> so you get a little bit of all of that. Uh, there, there's the condition of NBA officiating to complain about, right? <laughs> Except for right now, this, the Hornets are winning. But normally, that's something to complain about. NBA officiating should be. There's the AC setting. It's always wrong, isn't it? Yeah. It's always in the wrong setting. Isn't it in the wrong setting right now, today, in here, in this building? How many of y'all say the AC setting is wrong? <laughs> but if we change the setting, how many of y'all would complain? See, I mean, so no matter what we do with this list, it's, it's there. There, there's laundry to complain about. Uh, in spite of the fact that there is laundry and we own clothing, there's nothing to wear. You got nothing to wear, right? You're standing in your closet surveying a, a room that's a small apartment in another country, and you're staring and you go, I got nothing to wear. <laughs> and you're complaining about that, right? There's, there's your weight to complain about. Uh, if you're, if you're a geek, there's the entire Vista operating system to complain about, right? Yeah, I know. 
And if you're an extreme geek, there's anything non-Apple to complain about, right? It's not an Apple. So, hey, there. If, if you live in a home where several people are driving the same vehicles, there's something to complain about. How is it that each of us can always get in the car and say the same thing? There's never any gas in this car. How, how is that possible? Every one of us who drives in my home gets out of the car when we come back from a trip with the same complaint. It was on E again. There's never any gas in these cars. Right? So there is an abundance to complain about. And this is a short list, isn't there? You have your own list. It's, it's long. It's, it's professional. You've been working on it for years. But here's the problem with the complaining list. Complaining for a Christian, it, it fills the room with stink. It's, it's like the pogey plant, you know. It's, it's, it's discordant. It's the wrong music for the background of the Christian life, right? Erwin Lutzer says, complaining about our lot in life might seem quite innocent in itself, but God takes it personally. Now, do you ever stop and think that? Because the life that you have you have by the sovereign will of God. So to complain about it, now listen, I, I, I have a little bit of a feel for what this is like. It's a tip for families, right? Fathers, husbands have this role of responsibility in, in the home, right? So to some degree, we are making decisions, spending money, we're taking certain jobs. We're bringing a realm of provision into our family. So we kind of feel responsible for what we call family life, lifestyle. So when somebody, right, guys, are you with me on this? When somebody in my home complains about stuff or where we're going, what we're doing, how long it's taking, I immediately, it's personal for me. It could be about something, I didn't buy that stupid gadget now that it's broken, and I'm glad it's broke probably, but I didn't. But I feel responsible. I feel like i got to fix it. I feel like uh, some decision was made that I let get made. That So when there's complaining in the home, it's personal for me. So I think there is a dimension that for God, God who is the provider of our life, though it's normal for us to complain, we are addressing things that a sovereign God has placed in our life, including the idiot who just cut you off. Right, somehow God is even involved there. Thomas Watson says, our murmuring is the devil's music. Right, our, our complaining fits his scene tremendously. Right? It goes with his scene. It just doesn't go with God's. It's not good background music for God. What is in this passage that seems to be so critical? If you were to just kind of extract three things to inform the Christian walk. Look there in verse 6 and 7. As you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in him. All right? What what do you mean by that? Well, three things. One, be rooted and built up in him. Two, be established in the faith. Three, be abounding in thanksgiving. All right? So these are three things that Paul pushes into the Christian life, and he says, this is what needs to go with the Christian life. So abounding in thanksgiving needs to go with the Christian life. That word abounding there, it means to have more than enough, a super abundance. It describes something that is excessive or overflowing. 
So when we bump into the attitude of thankfulness that's in our lives, it should be, it should be drippy. It should be nonstop. It should be over the top. It should almost be borderline irritating that we bump into people who are so chronically thankful for this and for that and for this and for that. And just what you hear from them is an amazing amount of gratitude. That's how Paul is describing abounding in thanksgiving. He says, you're going to live the Christian life. Well, here, turn this music on. Listen, abounding thanksgiving sets the scene for everything else that we're to be doing. It's the atmosphere of the Christian life. Now, maybe for some of us, our list of things to complain about far exceeds our list of things to be thankful about. I would say that's only possible because we don't think about things to be thankful about. Just don't go there a lot. So this morning, I'm going to take us there. This is the first thing in our 12 steps to recovering from complaining. 12 things to be thankful for. You can think of this as a starter list for former complainers on the road to recovery. All right? Here, these are just things, and I'm just taking these from Scripture. I'm taking the admonitions from Scripture for us to be thankful And this isn't even going to traffic into such a huge list that all of us could personally come up with. But I do think it's helpful because it will inform the value system that we have about what are the things in our lives that we should be saying thank you about, thank you about that, thank you about that, thank you about that. Number one, thankful for God's appointing and using us in spite of our resume. I don't know if I, do we have these passages? Yes, we do. We have them up here so you don't have to try and turn to them all quickly. Paul says to Timothy, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. Right, you and I are seated here today in the family of God. If you've come to know Christ, that's true about you. Can we take a second to review our resume? Who were you before you were brought into God's family? I don't know what words you'd use. Paul used some interesting ones there. I was, I was a lying, deceiving, stealing parent, dishonoring, drug-using, alcohol-abusing, jealous, prideful, insecure enemy of God. That's the short list. And then God showed up into that setting. Not into me having put down half of that and improving the list. I was in my prime in these areas. And God saved me. That informs my gratitude every day. Every one of those aspects of who I was and more should have continued their linear development into stardom in each one of those categories. I should have been prolific in all those areas. Yet God mercifully saved me and, and then appointed me, appointed me to be husband to Gina. Gave me the gift of companionship 
for the rest of my life. And then appointed me to be a father to my four boys and my three daughters. And appointed me to be a pastor to his people that he loves. And so I'm, I'm, I'm informed. I've got something every day to consider on the thankful list. Number two, the blessing procured by others' intercession. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 11. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. All right? Do you stop and intentionally consider, and some of you know this, you have come into the kingdom of God on the wings of somebody's praying for you. When was the last time? And listen, I hope I left a little bit of space in your outline for you to make some notes here because this list needs to come alive for you so that you can begin to walk in gratitude. Can you, can you think of the people who prayed you into the kingdom of God, people that, family members, who walked alongside the mess of your life and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and here you are today. People who maybe just met you in the early stages when you were beginning to bump into Christianity, and they began to pray for you, and they began to pray for you that, that God's work would take root in your life. And here you are. <laughs> Bible says that we're to give thanks for those who prayed for us that we might receive this blessing. Listen, when we went through the Katrina episode, I was never more aware of people's prayers and their impact and their sustaining grace and their support and strength that we received as a result of that. Never more aware. As a matter of fact, everywhere I have spoken since Katrina outside of this church, the first thing I will do in any of those settings, even just as recent as last month, is on your behalf, thank those people for their prayers for us during that season. Listen, there are things going on in your life that people are praying about and have been praying about that needs to make your list of things that you every day consider and provoke gratitude into your hearts. Number three, thankful for people whose lives proclaim the faith into the world. Right, now listen, that might sound like, you know, Keith, uh, I wouldn't be thinking about that. That wouldn't make my list. Well, I know, but, but, you know, what's on our complaint list? Should a lot of that stuff be on there? Right? Some of our list just needs better data in it. Romans chapter 1, verse 8. First, Paul says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. The Ephesians, he says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Because Paul was affected by their faith, by the way in which the faith was proclaimed. Now listen, people proclaim faith in your life. This is, this is an admonition to some of us to walk responsibly. If you're a proclaimer of unbelief, well, then you, you bring people down with that. But if you're a proclaimer of faith for Paul, though he wasn't even there, what he had heard 
lit his own faith up. What he had heard from them, from their example, from their life, it had an effect upon him so much so that he was thankful for the way in which faith was pouring out of their lives. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Now, right now, in the little space that you got there, do you have people like that on your list? I mean, right now, who, who comes to mind for you who are living lives, have lived lives that you've observed that proclaim faith from their lives? These are people who are trusting God, people who are living for the kingdom of God, people who are facing great adversity, but yet they, they see God in the midst of it and they are filled with joy and anticipation of God. I mean, put their names down right now. Next time you're tempted to complain about something, Thank God for these people in your life. What about this one, number four? Thankful for God's favor and ability that's been given to others. God puts favor and he puts gifting and ability in other people's lives. And we're to be thankful for that. First Corinthians 1, Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a pretty amazing verse, especially if you understand the context. If there was a church to complain about, the Corinthians probably were at the top, unless theologically understood why Galatians was more important to complain about. All the problems these people had in Corinth, I mean, the church was full of sin. Selfishness was all over the place. Lack of love. And yet Paul could look into that church and he could find things to thank God for. He could find people and evidence of God at work in their midst through them. People where God's grace was visible. People who were having an impact. Now, now listen, these people that God places in it, and he places them in all of our lives. There, there are gifted people that God has put in your life. They bring an influence in your life because of God-given abilities in their life. There are servants and leaders that God has placed in your life. There are people of influence that as you watch their life, their life brings influence into other people's world. We're to be thanking God for that. Now, now, that list is an interesting list because the odds are those same people are the ones we most likely will complain about. All right, let's just be honest. There will be days when you leave this service and you will be thankful for me. And then there will be days when you will leave this service and you will complain about me. <laughs> and that's true of your covenant group leader. It's true of the people that are walking in your life. Right, we have opportunities both to complain and to be thankful. Now think for a moment. Right, this one, the one above it, people who are proclaiming faith in the world. 
Think, think what an atmosphere gets created in the church when we begin to thank God abundantly, abounding, overflow, drippy, obnoxious thankfulness for the people like this in our lives. Listen, some of the stuff that undoes us, and I think through the years of people of influence, people of authority, people playing roles, people being used by God. There were seasons in my life where those people rubbed sin in me all the wrong ways. Whether it was criticalness, I didn't like the way they did something because I was prideful and thought my way would be better than that. Or it was my own insecurity that I found myself chronically comparing myself to people who were more influential and more gifted than me. So when you get on the receiving end of that, that feels gross. Right? That feels frustrating and you're unsettled about yourself. You don't like who you are because you're not that person and now you're angry and all I got to do is walk up to you and hmm, get one of those. What a different environment gets created when I recognize God is at work in people. God is at work in them. God, I, th I thank God for him. Lord, thank you for her and the influence that's coming from her life into other people's lives, into my life, the gifting and the way in which you use that person, the way they serve or lead. God, thank you for them. I thank God. That's what Paul encourages us to do in this passage. Verse number five. Thankful for the onset of difficult circumstances. This sounds problematic. Daniel 6, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed. This is not a parole document. Daniel's not getting out of jail here. Don't read anymore. Don't read anymore. What document is he excited about getting signed here? Right, somebody signed a lease over to him. What? No, no, what just got signed was the king was tricked into signing the outlawing of people praying to anyone else but the king. That's what just got signed. And Daniel is a God-honoring, God-fearing man. And when that happens, he went into his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. And this is so counterintuitive, isn't it? What are the moments when you just erupt into thanksgiving? The moments that just spontaneously coming out of you, I mean, you might even need to pull away and get alone with God and say, oh God, thank you, thank you. Isn't it usually when you receive favorable news Right? Something's going on, you're waiting for it, you're waiting for it. The phone call, the phone call, the phone call comes, you hang it up. Yes! And you are so thankful. Oh, guys, let's gather on, let's pray and just thank God. Right? Can you foresee that you're watching the evening news and one of the evening news dudes comes on and explains that President Obama has just signed into law a new law that makes charitable giving no longer a tax deduction. So any of your giving to a charity or to the church is no longer a tax deduction, and that just got signed into law. How many of you guys would say, hey, hey, guys, let's just gather around and thank God. Let's just, let's hold hands and thank God, right? This is so counterintuitive. But listen, this is why, no, I can't take enough time to, to develop this, but this is why, I'm tempted to skip all the rest of these. 
Let me just say this, and then I'll, I'll, I'm going to let you guys do most of these on your own. This is why number 12 exists. Because Daniel knows something in this moment that makes number 12 possible. Being thankful always and for everything. Ephesians 5, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians reiterates the same. Rejoice always. And you notice in both of these, there's singing and melody in the heart, and there's rejoicing. So this isn't arms folded. Thank you, God. Somehow, this is good. <laughs> this, is, this is a heart that's been won over by a perspective, so much so that I'm whistling. You know, maybe you don't sing, but you're probably whistling. A spring in your step. You are rejoicing always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. <clears throat> all right, Daniel does that. Paul's high on doing that here. Why, why is that possible? This is where, uh, what I mean by where there's smoke, there's fire. Where there's the smoke, the aroma of thankfulness, what it gives away is something else is present in that moment. How could Daniel give thanks to God for prayer and relating to God being outlawed? How could you or me be in a circumstance that looks devastating and detrimental and overwhelming and no escape and no end in sight, how could I look at that and respond with thankfulness? Well, it must be that I don't just see this. I must be seeing something else besides this. I must be seeing something about God that trumps these things every time. So that in every circumstance, it's not a circumstance you can create. Oh, yeah, well, what about this? Or what? No, no, no. In every circumstance, <clears throat> God is up to something for his glory and for your good. In every circumstance, that is always always true. The character of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when I come to a moment filled with pain, questions, uncertainty, my response is to be giving of thanks. Because God, I don't see where this turns out. I don't see where this goes. But God, I thank you because I know it goes somewhere in you. I know you are in this. I know your glory is going to radiate out of this situation. Right? And so whether Paul was in jail or he was free to roam, both circumstances got equal gratitude from him because of who God was going to be in either one of those situations. Now, <clears throat> you can go back and, and look through some of the details of the other 12 steps 
to gratitude that are there. And interestingly, as I look through some of the thankful components of what the Bible highlights, um, you know, we all have our patterns that we're used to giving thanks for. You know, I have a routine that normally I'm putting one of the little ones in bed. Usually Drew and I will go through a list of people that we're thankful for, things that we're thankful for, you know, and and a lot of them are just your real garden variety aspects of life. You know, being able to be thankful that this bed's a comfortable bed, that you are laying down tonight in a house with air conditioning in it, that today we had all the food we needed, right? Those kinds of things. I don't want my kids overlooking those. I don't want them thinking that, that I'm entitled to that or I deserve that or everybody has that because the reality is most of the world doesn't have that. And so I don't want them to, to have a, an American list of things to be thankful for because God has provided for us amazingly. But, you know, as a survey that list, quite often none of these 12 are part of that regular routine. And interestingly, very few that are on my list are highlighted in the New Testament. It doesn't mean these are wrong. I think there's aspects in the Bible that we should be thankful for, many, many things that don't specifically get spelled out. But in the economy of God, these are the things that apparently matter the most. And so we should be looking for them in our lives and seeing them and developing a response to God over them because they're highlighted for us in Scripture. All right, let me walk through a couple of thoughts here before we have a time of communion together. This quote in your outline, R.C. Lucas says, to be bursting with thankfulness is a true witness of the spirit within us. For the voice of thanksgiving speaks without ceasing of the goodness of God. It claims nothing. It sees no merit in man's receiving, but only in God's giving. It marvels at his mercy. It is the language of joy just because it need look no longer to its own resources. It is an expression of dependence on another. Here is a fine test by which we may test the authentic quality of our spiritual growth. To be filled with gratitude is to be filled with the spirit of Christ. The Christian rejoicing in his blessing of a thankful heart will have his eyes fixed upon the right person and the right place. See, this is where thanksgiving is a byproduct of something else. Christ at God's right hand. He cannot be taken up with himself without being immediately reminded that everything he possesses is the gift from God. The only thing which he can claim to be filled with, which comes from himself and which he can offer to God, is gratitude. See, our thankfulness says a lot about the condition of our life. It's the music that's playing. It's the background for how we are in this setting today, how we will be at home today. We're thankful. Are we complaining and grumbling? Ken Hughes says, thankfulness is a good test of our spiritual state. A thankless spirit betrays a life which is no longer focusing on the greatness of Christ. It is looking down, not up. <clears throat> if you and I are struggling with being thankful, let's, let's see if we can go to the source of that. It has to do with what I'm staring at. 
if I'm seeing the greatness of God, the faithfulness of Christ, God's grace immeasurable toward me, then I cannot help but be postured to whistle a tune of thankfulness. If I'm staring at how the dollar amount in my checkbook matches the bill amounts in the statements, I'm looking down and not up. Curtis Vaughn says, the present passage may imply that those who lack a deep sense of thankfulness to God are especially vulnerable to doubt and spiritual delusion. All right, so this was not the primary thing in this verse. But do you understand, if you extract it, you debilitate the primary thing in this verse. If you and I are attempting to live the Christian life without the aroma and the background sound of thankfulness, then everything we're doing gets debilitated by that. It becomes harder because something is missing. Not just thankfulness, but that which causes thankfulness is missing, and that needs to inform our lives. All right, so as we prepare for communion today, one of the reasons that today we celebrate communion is because the word Eucharist that we get from Scripture, Eucharistos, means thanksgiving. That's what that is. When we celebrate communion today, it is an act of thanksgiving. And it is an act of thanksgiving that the Bible causes our attention to be diverted from life and activity for the moment, right? When we come to communion, what are we called upon by Scripture to look at? Do this in remembrance of me. Right, so let me take us back as the guys come to prepare to serve us communion this morning. Look at this passage with me. It's the one we started with in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 12, Paul says, I thank him. That's a form of the word Eucharist there. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I received mercy for this reason. That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Listen. What we celebrate right now, there are many reasons for us to be thankful. Many reasons. But if you built these into a mound, into a great pyramid at the pinnacle, at the top, would be this passage. 
Jesus Christ laid down his life in mercy to save the worst of sinners. No matter what else is going on in my life, doesn't that trump everything? But my health isn't well right now. I know. The good news of the gospel is Jesus Christ died to bring you into his kingdom and to one day give you a body that will never have any of those issues any longer. But I'm just sick of living month to month and barely getting by and and here comes the Christmas season and I'm not going to be able to afford to do things for my family. Right, you can look down at that. But this morning what you celebrate calls out to you to look up at him who has made you the wealthiest people ever. You have an inheritance in him untouched by this world, unmatched by anything in this world. Even those of us here that we know we are the worst of sinners are blessed beyond measure by the wealth of God's provision in his son. Listen, no matter what it is that you would touch in your life that's pulling you down, at the top is the saving work of God on your behalf. So it's appropriate for us that no matter what you're going to prepare your heart to be thankful for for the next several weeks, especially this week as you're celebrating Thanksgiving, that you start with that which informs all the rest. The God of glory sent his son in mercy to save me. The worst sinner I know. Let's ponder that. Let's remember that as you come. If, if everybody could do this, I will serve communion. If you will all exit out of your sections in that direction, to your right, 